Don't you just hate it when clubs ride that wave of overrated British talent? I mean, 57 million for Calvin Phillips? Come on. 150 million for Declan Rice? Freaking outrageous. So today, I thought we'd delve into whether that sort of needless hype can be applied to managers too, with a prime focus on two in particular, who most consider as English footballing royalty, Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard. Once part of that famed golden generation, but now seemingly destined for a different fate. Will they ever come close to setting the bar for future British managers? Hell, are they even close? Stay tuned to find out here on the Pitch Life Podcast. So here we are. We've gone past, what is it, four, four game weeks now? And we're already discussing about the annual sack race, who gets the boot first. And I think it's fair that we've sort of narrowed down on these two people, Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard, given, you know, how things are going for them so far this season. I feel like every year that goes by, these murmurs just start earlier and earlier in the season. I mean, today's topic of chatter would normally have been something we'd have been beaming with pride. I mean, these guys are legends. Nay, they are mythical giants during their epic playing careers. So one of us, both of us actually would have given a limb to watch them play live. Definitely, definitely. I, I thought you did watch Lampard play live, though. I mean, you, you stay fairly close to London. Yeah, I did once, but I think he was an unused substitute in that game. So I actually haven't seen him live live. So yeah. And, I, and I've got my limbs intact, so, you know. The, kind of... the only thing worse than not being in England to watch the games is being in England to watch the games, going for a game, and then watching your idol sit on the bench. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Been there, that's, done that's that. That's pretty bad. Yep, that's sad. But sadly now, I guess, you know, they've made their foray into the cauldron of the Premier League and Premier League management. And surprise, surprise, they are frontrunners, as you said, to get fired. So... Their professional lives have been intertwined for way too long now as players, both central midfielders, both club legends at big Premier League giants who both headed to the MLS later on, two players who made their final appearances on the same day and even started their managerial careers within 24 hours of each other. I mean, I could go on, but it just shows how intertwined these two number eights, legendary number eights, have been. Yeah, and and that has continued into their management careers as well. I mean, the media has hyped them up as, you know, the new breed of young English managerial talent. And honestly, so far, they've looked pretty terrible. I mean, especially since the tail end of last season. But Gerard came in at Aston Villa, you know, a lot of pomp, a lot of fanfare. He had a good start, in, you know, all things considered, before things truly started to go downhill. And Lampard at Chelsea, well, we all know how that started. We discussed it last season. We all know how it ended as well. Uh, and somehow he's then ended up at Everton, where he was tasked with uh, avoiding relegation, a big task. And he succeeded at that. I was just smiling to myself right there while while you were saying your bit, because you, my friend, were part of that media, you know? I was I was witness no to all that unprovoked Lampard slander last season, and you know how you, well, basically wax lyricals about Gerard. But, you know, I mean, that was December 2021. 
Um, fast forward to now, game week four of the 2022-23 season, Gerard's record is on par with guess who? Gary Neville at Valencia. You know, that stint, the 7-0, he got drabbed by Barcelona. I mean, that that was probably one of the worst stints in football management. And yeah, Gerard's pretty close to that, you know? Yeah, definitely. And look, just to set the record straight, I hardly consider what I was doing as waxing lyrical about Steven Gerrard, just, just so we're clear on that, all right? I don't know, but okay, go on. Now, maybe the media pressure on these managers at this moment in time when we're recording isn't really high enough to warrant a sack or, you know, honestly, even warrant an episode where we're talking about them, but we just thought we'd take a preemptive look at how these two are doing. Uh, Aston Villa and Everton, both of them, they're not really setting the legal eye this season so far. And I guess the main question we're going to try and discuss today is which manager's reputation takes a bigger hit from being sacked? Because when you look at it, Frank Lampard, if he gets sacked, he would then have been sacked twice in the Premier League. Steven Gerrard, on the other hand, he arrived from Scotland, like I said, a lot of pomp, a lot of fanfare uh, after winning the title with Rangers. But currently, he's really struggling to cope with the Premier League. And Let's face it, he's he's spent a pretty penny on new players, hasn't he? Look, whatever said and done, they've had good successes at their previous clubs. You know, I'm referring to Rangers and Derby slash Chelsea, respectively. And taking on a new challenge almost means like you've got to falter before you fly. It is it is very tough. Whoa, so, wait, wait, where are you going with this? I well, mean, what's the point? Well, you know, I mean, the universe has a really funny way of coming and biting you in the ass. So real soon and real good. So, you know, I I don't want to be in that whole wax lyrical situation like you, you know, when that completely falls apart. And and besides, you know, if we ever have Super Frank or Stevie G on the podcast one day, which, uh, mm, you know. You know, look, if if we can do that, I'd give my second limb for that. Although I think you and I could both agree that the person that we really want to have on the podcast is Mourinho. That is true. That is true. But, you know, hypothetically, if we ever have one of these two or both of them on the podcast one day, we don't want their PR teams reminding us of this infamous rant that then, you know, is embarrassing at that point. You know what we we should do? We should aim to get Lampard and Gerard in for an episode someday. And we should ask them the question, who was the better player, Lampard or Gerard? They're just going to walk off, you know that, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's probably a question they've been asked a zillion times by then. But anyway, we digress. I'm right? just glad that there wasn't a Gerard slipping joke in that, but, you know. Fair enough, yeah. I'm glad we yeah. moved on from that. that. That just went way too quick. I think I wasn't yeah. ready. Anyway, we digress. So how about this? You know, like I've said before, you've trashed Lampard, right, and praised Gerard. Sure. And I've done a bit of the opposite, right? Uh, maybe not as much as you, but not as vocal, but... Why don't we today play devil's advocate? Something, you know, something that you like to do here. So why don't you defend Lampard today and criticize Gerard instead? And I'll do the opposite, obviously, vice versa, right? Maybe there's some element of fair play there. I think that's sensible. And it could potentially make the discussion a lot less uh, contentious than it needs to be. But just so we're clear, you do understand that you a lifelong Chelsea supporter, will have to criticize your idol, Frank Lampard. I do. Okay, there's the bobblehead, yeah. Yeah. For all our listeners, I'm just uh, waving around a Lampard bobblehead. A a Lampard bobblehead that I gifted him 
And uh, funnily enough, it's a bobblehead of uh, him from his time at Manchester City. Yep, painfully aware, painfully aware. Okay, so let's get going. Should we start with Lampard then? Yep, I'll let you do the honours then. Of course you will. Here's the thing, I, I know you think I despise Lampard. I think a lot of people who've heard me speak about Lampard might think that I despise Lampard, but that's that's really not true. I think as a player, he was absolutely fantastic, even though a lot of his success did come at the cost of, you know, Liverpool's success. Oh, and many other a... teams, many other teams, to be honest. Yeah, definitely, many other teams. And the fact still remains, and I don't think there are a lot of people who can argue against this, it's that Frank Lampard was a fantastic player. As a manager, however, I I have strongly mixed feelings. I mean, you know I put people like him and I guess now people like Gerard in the same uh, league, you know, as uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and all those, uh, you know, legendary player turned manager group. He He does, however, have some good moments and some good attributes that you'd want to see in your manager. And the thing that that's at the top of my head is that he's he's really good at working with youth talent. I mean, that, I think that's that's something that every Premier League club wants to do, but not every Premier League club does it. I mean, Chelsea themselves didn't do it under Abramovich until Lampard came in and really pushed for that. And it's not just his desire to integrate them into the senior team. It's It's just that, you know, he does it with the intention of making them proper players, not just as stop gaps for, you know, uh, any more expensive or better players, which I think is, you know, fairly commendable. Yeah, and they're, and a lot of them now, as a result of that, are bordering on world-class. So I think, yeah, yeah it's definitely... Yeah, yeah if, if, you, if you look at the Chelsea squad right now, it's, it's a, a lot of it is down to Lampard's push uh, towards, you know, bringing those players in the squad. I know last season... Uh, I had big questions when uh, Everton actually hired him, given the position that they were in, you know, uh, fighting against relegation, all the instability that was uh, caused by someone like Rafa Benitez being at the club. I honestly didn't think they would survive relegation uh, under him. Because, I mean, I've had doubts about his ability to work with defences. You know, I've gone on and on about that. And that's something that he struggled with at uh, Chelsea too. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I mean, from what I'm hearing, you're supposed to be positive about Lampard. I thought we agreed that. I am. No, no, I am being positive. Okay, at least I'm trying to be positive. But just let me finish, all right? Okay, okay, go on. It's Like I said, he's he's struggled with the defensive side of the game. And I did think that under him, Everton would suffer the unthinkable and, you know, they would be relegated. Somehow... They just about managed to scrape through and avoid relegation. I, I think they did that in what, like the the second to last game of the season. They had, you know, that whole uh, debacle of all of those fans storming the pitch and all yeah, those things. Yeah, exactly. Now, for any manager in any league, it doesn't matter whether it's in England or Spain or, you know, Portugal or Italy or, you know, wherever it is, any manager in any league at any level that's been brought in to help a club that is struggling especially struggling with something like relegation and they've survived that's a big deal i think i think what lampard has done is just a huge plus point on his managerial cv i mean when you think about it there are managers like uh, sam allardyce for example who coincidentally is a former everton manager who, who and let's face it he's made a name for himself as a survival specialist specialist you know? yeah, yeah yeah 
I mean, I'm not saying that Lampard is aiming to be that, but it, it is, you know, something that boosts your profile. Now, Everton didn't really do it in the most, you know, stylish or attractive way, or they didn't do it in the most convincing of manners, but the truth at the end of the day, or I should say end of the season, is that they did survive. And I think Lampard doesn't get enough credit for that. I mean, credit that we, or, or you know, as you would like to say, rather I, didn't give him at the end of last season. Wow. I mean, I'm, I am surprised you've gotten this far without bursting into flames. I'm, I'm impressive, I have to say. Dude, I don't hate Frank Lampard. But, you know, I mean, giving giving that big a monologue, I almost waited for you to finish because I, you know, what I was hearing was pure gold. And I was like, wow, this is, I mean, he he really doesn't hate him. No, I don't. But don't get me wrong. I don't expect this season to be something special for them. I, I still think they'll struggle. Whether, whether, you know, relegation is in the picture again, I don't really know. But the thing is, with Everton, there are so many things that are going wrong that, you know, there are multiple reasons for them not really succeeding. I mean, one of the biggest things is that they've got a less than stellar board situation going on. And we've seen on numerous occasions with numerous clubs, how something like that can make pretty much any manager's life difficult. It's it's not something, you know, unique to Lampard. I can't argue with the instability, for sure. And I think, you know, to my point, with Gerard, it's clear he's been allowed to f- pave his own path, you know, largely owing to the stability that I just talked about with Klopp's reign at Liverpool. So there's there's really been no urgency for him to take up that Anfield role anytime soon. For Lampard, it has been quite the opposite, and he's largely been a victim of poor circumstance. Uh, I mean, that's certainly not my excuse for him, but I think circumstances is a very large part of football and sometimes the media and quite frankly even history tend to overlook that i mean in 10 years time we're not going to remember why lampard actually took the job at chelsea right no we will uh yeah we probably will but you know to your point i think his youthful legacy was probably what we'll most remember him for but you know frankly put put another way should gerard have been asked to take over danfield prematurely i don't know if their careers would have been that that different you know um in any case, he did fairly well at Derby, but then eventually his team petered out to Aston Villa in that championship playoff. Coincidentally, yeah. At Chelsea, I guess, you know, there's a reasonable argument to say why he would never, ever refuse that job because, you know, when your spiritual home sends out an SOS, I mean, you have to. You have to. Any, anyone would have to. And we certainly knew he wasn't ready. He was, he was never that top caliber of manager. I mean, the Derby County in the championship, taking them to sixth place is not really something you would brag about, right? And therefore, results at Chelsea were kind of expected, I feel. And even though the club bolstered his squad, you know, like no other club he'd been at before, you know, all, gave him all of his desired signings, but just spent that lack, a lot of money. Yeah, spent a lot of money. I mean, was it like two hundred and fifty million? I think in a single transfer window. But when you give a manager with that lack of experience that much to play with, I think galvanizing these superstars is not easy. And um, it was pretty evident. I mean, he, uh, you know, case in point being Timo Werner, he constantly kept playing him out of position. He isolated Rudiger from the squad, like literally maligned him from the starting 11. And and, and look look what a champion he's been since Tuchel since joined, then, yeah. right? And then got his move to Real Madrid as well now. Jorginho and Aspilicueta were two others who were on the verge of being moved on. And look at them now. They're, they're, they're in the starting 11 uh, just just this week gone by. So clearly, 
he had a case where a young manager has dissatisfied senior players, and that's that's not really a recipe for success, is it? But following his Chelsea departure, I feel that he was interviewed for several roles, you know, at all of these mid-table clubs, like Aston Villa being one of them, I think. Norwich, when they were struggling, you know, trying to keep them afloat. Um, and I guess due to that relatively limited success at high-pressure situations, he he really wasn't successful in those interviews. And, you know, as you pointed out, Everton stayed up by the skin of their teeth. So if that could be heralded as success, then, yeah, I mean, it... it it hasn't really started all that well this season. It, they were they were scrappy at the end of last season. They've been scrappy at the beginning of this one. Sure, injuries has contributed to that and, you know, exposed his lack of depth in management, you know, handling squad players. But, hey, that's not an excuse. So, I, I, I think overall, Lampard's had a pretty rough time. So, here's the thing, you know, I, this is about Lampard going to Chelsea and I... I think we probably have spoken about this last season. I, I don't remember, but let me just ask you again. You mentioned, you know, poor circumstances and how he ended up at Chelsea and all of those things. If it weren't for that transfer ban that Chelsea were, you know, handed, uh, and let's face it, that that was a prime uh, reason they weren't able to get a more experienced, more proven manager, right? Yeah. Would they still have gone with Frank Lampard? Or would they have passed over him as well? Look, I think I think the transfer ban made the search harder. I won't disagree with that. But the primary factor, in my opinion, was the lack of any suitable manager of great caliber, right, available that summer. Everyone was in a job. Everyone was locked in. Realistically, I think we had, uh, if I had to think back, I think Laurent Blanc and uh, Max Allegri were the only candidates left, and obviously the latter being the favorite. But when Allegri, I think, decided to take a sabbatical from football, I mean, that's how badly he didn't want the Chelsea job, um, it became pretty clear that Lampard was the only remaining choice. And But I think not the only remaining choice by elimination, but the fact that his team at Derby was also a very young team that finished sixth and also, you know, thrashed that year's champions who were Bielsa's leads. I think Chelsea probably figured it's a reasonable choice because... As you say, with the transfer ban, we only had academy graduates to work with. So it would be a similar sort of team. You know what I'm looking forward to the most right now? Go on. You having to be positive about Steven Gerrard? Oh, God. Yeah, I was, I was, I was dreading this. But, but hey, look, I'm, I'm not going to be half-assed about this, okay? I'm not going to use words like commendable and the board was to blame too and disguise them as praise. I'm, you I, know, that, I, I was not disguising hey. my praise. It's, I was literally saying that a lot of the things that Lampard has had to put up with was, were out of his control as well. It's all right. It's all right. Baby steps. I mean, last season, unprovoked rant. This season, neutral words. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there with Lampard. Don't worry. I think so. But for me, I think, you know, I need to give credit where it's due. This, this guy has been tremendous. I mean, you mentioned him coming to all that pomp and fanfare earlier. For me, I think there was an unnecessary amount of it. In, in, in Gerard's defense, I feel that there was so much fanfare even before he started to prove himself in this league. And let's be honest, I mean, coming from a Celtic Rangers league up there, it's 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 not it's nothing compared to the Premier League. And that needless pressure for the young budding manager like Gerard, I think that's that's what that's why we're seeing Villa in the state that they are. But hey, 
I promised praise and that's what I will do. So everybody knows his whole story started at Rangers, you know, his whole success story rather started at Rangers when he crafted them from a club that was quite frankly in dire straits. You know, they had an administration looming. They were bleeding players, dodgy management as usual. You know, the, the usual suspects with clubs um, into what we could now call Scotland's only invincibles, right? Only invincibles champions. He not only ended Celtic's 10 straight premiership run, but also built a legacy that would rival any manager in Scotland, even in the future, for that matter. Impressive, yeah. And fun fact, by the way, I did Google this. Rangers' UEFA coefficient when Gerrard started was 265. So that's that's bad, okay? The higher the number, it's bad. Always a really reliable metric, the UEFA <laughs> yeah. coefficient. Yeah, well, yeah, but 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 you'll be surprised what what it did become. So in the space of just three seasons, he got that number down to forty three, which is incredible because Celtic are ranked forty nine. So it is it is amazing that in three seasons he was able to actually beat the the only Scottish club that participates in the Champions League, and. Such is the impact that Gerard has had in galvanizing a team that, you know, played dominant football, sure, but they were they became the, virtually the only horse in what is a two-horse race. See, this is what I love about our podcast. You know, we always learn things like this, which in the big picture don't really matter at all, but I cannot imagine how empty the lives of people are who do not listen to us. I mean, Absolutely. where will they get such information? Exactly. I mean, look, look at us. Look at us just educating the public, you know, not, not, not just giving them a fun-filled episode. Yeah. But back to our topic. So, you know, with Rangers themselves, even after he's left, they're not doing too bad. I mean, runners-up in the Europa League last season, hey, N- narrowly missed out on the title, but incredible stuff. I mean, players like uh, Alfredo Morelos and James Tavernier, they've become overnight superstars. And that that is down to Gerard himself. Which then, I guess, brings me to Aston Villa. Now, this is where I find that Lampard's situation kind of mirrors Gerard, right? Not, not, not exactly, but kind of. Um, when a club like Aston Villa come to you, I know it's no Chelsea, but this is a club steeped in tradition again. You you can't really say no, especially when you're at Rangers in the Scottish League. A chance in the Premier League is not something you would pass up. Um, I guess even on his arrival at Villa Park, um, Stevie, I think, used a 4-3-3. I guess reminiscent from his uh, time at the Liverpool Academy when, when they probably used a 4-3-3 there as well. He seems to have signed quite well at the start. You know, he brought in Danny Ings. I think he bought in Coutinho, which was a real coup Barcelona. from uh, from Barcelona, and uh, you know others to replace that massive hole left by Jack Grealish. He's improved Ollie Watkins's uh, positional play and finishing. I mean, uh, I've had him in my fantasy team, and he's given me great returns in the first three game weeks. And you know, as is quite common these days, he does rely on fullbacks. So again, Maddie Cash and Luca Dean from Everton, who he signed right after he came in. So uh, yeah, it was a pretty good. Start really trying to career. play the Liverpool way, I guess. But, you know, all of that aside... I know. It's not like I disagree with what you've said, but... I mean, we're just talking about new manager bounce now, aren't we? I mean, we see it all the time with so many teams. So a new guy comes in, players are excited, they're energized, they're keen to impress, you know, learn new tactics, systems, all of those things. Training is shuffled up, you know, they they get to do something new... And players just want to get on with the business. And then a few weeks later, 
surprise, surprise, all of that just fizzles out and reality sets in. So I'd say pretty much the same thing has happened with Gerard at Villa as well. True, true. But if if you forget the players and the system for a second, I know I, I know that's vital, but you know there's this concept of the whole man-behind-the-man phenomenon where which has become really popular lately, you know, starting with Bobby Robson, who had Mourinho as his right-hand man, right? I mean, that that worked a treat. Then you had Abramovich at Chelsea with Marina Granovskaya as his right-hand man, or Bulldog, as they call to call her. Klopp with Pep Linders very recently. Um, FSG with Michael Edwards. You know, it's kind of it's kind of a, a partnership that, that really works. Arteta, I guess, the latest, yeah. right, with Edu. And what they've done this transfer window is just incredible. Um, so the Premier League's littered with such duos or tr- trios, if you will. And Gerard's case is no different, actually, because I looked into this. It's 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 pretty obvious. Gerard lacks coaching, right? Yeah. Coaching experience. He's a, he's a new manager, f- fresh from playing, obviously, right? So he's not a Guardiola. He's not a Tuchel. Uh, not even a Brendan Rodgers or someone. So in walks Michael Beale, right? This is for whom. Gerard has formed a great partnership with. This is this is his right-hand man. This is his go-to guy. And he's basically left all of the coaching and tactical work to Beal while he manages the men, right? He manages the dressing room politics, the transfers, dealing with the club's higher-ups, all of that stuff, while he leaves the really tactical stuff to Beal, which is, which is great because, um, you know, some managers become really good at all aspects of the club, like, Guardiola is, for example, or, or or some other managers. But starting off, you really need to delegate as much as you can. And I suspect, and this is just a theory, Michael Beale recently left for QPR. He'd been with he's been with Gerard ever since his Rangers tenure, right? But he's left now, and maybe that's had some sort of impact on Gerard's team, right? And 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 just the reliance on Beale that is not there anymore. I don't know. I mean. This whole idea that uh, Beal was the brains, I, I don't know how true that is because he moved to QPR, right? I mean, like, wh- where are they now? 11th in the championship or 12th or something like that? I know it's been like seven games, but... They're in the championship? Oh, wow. I, th- I thought they were much lower. Yeah, they're but, in the okay. championship. But, I mean, I know we're seven games in to the championship, but it's not like they're doing great, you know? You can say that they're just four points behind uh, the leaders, but... It's hardly convincing because in the championship, you play a whole lot more games. It's a longer season. But yeah, I mean, let's see how it uh, unwinds for him. Which, here's a fun fact about Michael Beale. He was on the books at Chelsea as a coach for like the super youth teams. I'm talking like under 8, under 10s, under 12s, like, the, you know, that, that level. That is true. And yeah. he ended up leaving, funnily enough, because <laughs> of... Abramovich. Yep. Now, not it's not like Abramovich, you know, was personally involved or directly had anything to do with Beal leaving. But I think Beal was just tired about the lack of uh, progress with the youth players and in integrating them into the first team. So he ended up leaving. And do you know where he ended up? Uh, the fact that you're asking me this, I'm guessing the Liverpool Academy. The Liverpool Academy. That's where he met uh, Gerard, and that's sure. where they, you know sort of got on well enough to go to Rangers together, I guess. No, but that's great. It's it's worked out really well, right, for them? Mm, I guess so, yeah. But here's the thing, you know, getting getting back to our topic at hand, which somehow for this episode we we're really struggling to do. I know what I'm going to say next is going to sound 
you know, absolutely ludicrous, just downright mental, but bear with me for a while. Gerard has his... Hang on a minute. Is this you criticizing Gerard now? Because I need to really pay attention. Let's see how this goes. Okay, okay. I've never had to do this before. Let's Let's see how this goes. Here we go. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited already. It's, it's going to sound really crazy, but one of the things that I feel Gerard is struggling with, and I know, I know you know, and everyone knows that Gerard has a lot of flaws, but one of the things that I think he's struggling with is he's trying to find his, you know, quote-unquote persona. Oh, okay, it's not slipping, sorry. It's not slipping. Okay. But it really feels like he's trying to find his, you know, quote-unquote persona as a Premier League manager, you know? I mean... We've seen him put out some questionable teams, some questionable tactics, which sometimes have paid off. A lot of the times they haven't. We've seen him attempt to deal with the media in different ways. He's trying to be, you know, affable. Then he's, you know, stone-faced and serious. And we've seen him deal with the Villa squad in the same way. I mean, I, I don't know what exactly is happening, but for some reason he's decided to go and get involved in some sort of you know, behind-the-scenes tiff with Tyrone Mings. Oh, no yeah. idea why. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw the press conference from a few weeks ago, but he was more than happy to, uh, you know, berate him publicly in that uh, press conference as well. Yeah. I mean, he it was hung him out to dry. Yeah, I mean, it was very Mourinho-like. And then he went ahead, stripped him of the captaincy, and gave it to John McGinn, I think, which, again, a questionable decision. I don't think John McGinn deserves the captaincy all that much. And you just get the feeling that he's, you know, trying to stamp his authority on a lot of stuff. And it just doesn't seem to be working yet because, honestly, it hasn't been followed on by any on-the-field results. If, if you're going to be an authoritarian manager, then you need to be able to back that up with wins. And that just isn't happening. I don't know, but honestly, <laughs> the way Villa are playing, and they've had some pretty terrible performances already it it feels like he's already risking losing the dressing room you know tactically i I don't know again if this goes back to michael beale leaving i I don't really know but tactically when things aren't working he he just doesn't seem to want to change anything you know which i don't know if that might lead to him being viewed as like a one-trick pony or something like that but there are some very glaring limitations that are on display right now interesting I mean, a couple of things for me, I guess. One, we're never going to have John McGinn on this podcast. You know, that ship might have sailed with your scathing criticism. Even if we did, I'm not sure I'd be able to understand him. You might. Uh, True. I don't think so. No, I'd probably struggle. I'd probably struggle as well. And two, so does that leave Gerard in a precarious position to ever become Liverpool manager then? You know... The whole Liverpool manager thing, and I know you mentioned it earlier on in the episode as well. There's this whole prophecy of Gerard returning as manager. Yeah. I, I mean, think I mean, that's sort of... He's the heir apparent, right? I mean, it, that's the thing. Like, it sort of, you know, underlined his time at Villa. I mean, from, from day one. I mean, his attempts to deny that, like, hasn't really been convincing. And I think that's one of the factors that actually stops Villa fans from, you know, properly trusting him. That he'll leave the moment he gets a call from Anfield... Which which is never, you know, helpful. Yeah, true. Thankfully, I mean, that call won't be anytime soon since Klopp signed an extension, but uh, it's it's hardly a way to endear yourself to, you know, your new club's faithful. And 
the whole, you know, moving to Anfield thing, I, I sometimes do wonder if that plays with Gerard's head, although I doubt it because he is a very professional person. Like, I don't think he would let something like that, you know, uh, bother him. At at Aston Villa, he's been, you know, given the chance, like you said, to sign a lot of players, you know, a relatively big name, expensive players to build a squad. And so far, I don't know. I mean, the results just haven't been good. I mean, they've got some moderate to difficult games coming up. And if those don't go well, then I feel the Villa board will have some thinking to do. So from what you say, I think it's intriguing now to see who actually falters first, right? They're, they're both on pretty thin ice, I should say. And and who knows, one of them might be gone before this episode even comes out. <laughs> well, we've, we've now got to race against time to get this episode out in time. Otherwise, you know, there'll be no Gerard or Lampard or both. That's, that's, that's a good point. So l- let's get on with it and try to answer the question that we started out with, all right? If yeah, go for it. one of them is sacked, or hell, if both of them are sacked, it doesn't matter. Whose reputation suffers the most? Is it going to be the twice-sacked Chelsea legend or the much-heralded Scottish champion who couldn't cut it in the Premier League? For me, I think it's too close to call. I mean, Lampard's failure might just mean this would be his third sacking. Well, not his third sacking, but his second sacking. Derby, he left, you know, on mutual consent. Um, I think he really needs to rethink his approach to management, which is not really going to be blown out of proportion. I think he just needs to do a personal retrospective to see where he really stands, right? So yeah. nothing he hasn't dealt with in the past. But for me, Gerard edges it slightly, but just, just. I mean, only because he came to Villa as this undefeated, invincible champion, you know, building a squad for the ages at, at Rangers. So if you roughly equate Aston Villa to the size and mentality of a club like Rangers... And he's also got the transfers to back. I think maybe him getting the sack would probably look worse on his CV for me. You know, for the most part, I agree with you. Like, I, I, I think it might be Gerard who'll take the bigger hit as well. And it, I mean, it's like you said, it's a few reasons. When you compare it to Lampard, I think the, the bigger difference is that Gerard came in at Aston Villa, which with, with much bigger expectations than Lampard did at Chelsea, I think expectations among fans and everyone was pretty tempered because they knew Lampard was not experienced enough to cut it at Chelsea. So I think, you know, that didn't... It wasn't as big of an issue, I feel. Yeah. It's like you said, Gerard has been backed by the board. He signed good players. And at the end of all of that, if he if he's in the job for just one year, and this is assuming he makes it, you know, until Christmas or whenever, one year in this sort of a job with full backing, not a good sign. And... Any job that he takes after this will be a step back. It won't be a, you know, stepping stone the way everyone has thought it would be and the way he's been accused of treating Aston Villa. Wait a minute, did you say stepping stone? More like slipping stone, no? (laughs) Another golden opportunity just slipping through his... Okay, you know what? I think we've gone an entire episode with that one slipping joke, so I think we're good. And I think on that bombshell, it's time to end. Thank you and we'll see you guys next time. Aw, he stayed till the end, you epic legend. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pitch Life Podcast. Let us know what you thought on Instagram, or just tweet us at PitchLifePod on Twitter. You'll find our link in the bio. Give us a listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite streaming platform. 
Your support helps us grow into this global community we want to build, with ranters like us pouring our hearts out about this game we live to love. Until next time.